fair use. My poor little children one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. Martin Luther King Jr. is a man that is universally praised as one of the greatest heroes of the 20th century. Every year on the third Monday in January, a national holiday is celebrated in his honor. But the truth is that Martin Luther King Jr. was a wicked false prophet, a sexual pervert, and a communist tool. This film is not about race. God has made all nations of the earth of one blood. This film would judge Martin Luther King not by the color of his skin, but by the content of his character. Martin Luther King Jr. was a false prophet because he did not believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Martin Luther King Jr. was a false prophet because he masqueraded as a Baptist pastor. Yet he denied the virgin birth of Christ. Let me just read for you from his own writings. First, we must admit that the evidence for the tenability of this doctrine is too shallow to convince any objective thinker. To begin with, the earliest written documents in the New Testament make no mention of the virgin birth. The effort to justify this doctrine on the grounds that it was predicted by the prophet Isaiah is immediately eliminated. For all New Testament scholars agree that the word virgin is not found in the Hebrew original but only in the Greek text, which is a mistranslation of the Hebrew word for young woman. He's saying that Isaiah 714 doesn't say that a virgin shall conceive. It just says a young woman shall conceive and that Matthew got it wrong when he said a virgin shall conceive in the Greek New Testament. All scholars agree that it doesn't say Hebrew in the... Oh, really? If all scholars agree that the Hebrew original does not say virgin, then why are there literally several hundred different English translations of the Bible on the market today that all say virgin in Isaiah 7:14? The King James says virgin, and even all these modern phony versions, they all say virgin in Isaiah 7:14. Virtually every English Bible that has ever been printed says virgin. In Isaiah 7:14, yet Martin Luther King Jr. says, well, all scholars agree that it shouldn't say virgin there. Now, if you don't believe in the virgin birth, that leads you to not believe that Jesus is the son of God. And therefore, Martin Luther King Jr. states later on that he doesn't believe that Jesus is the son of God. Listen to this quote from the paper. The church called Jesus divine because they had found God in them. They could only identify him with the highest and best in the universe. It was this great experience with the historical Jesus that led the early Christians to see him as the divine son of God. So in that quote, he's denying that Jesus is the son of God and he's denying that Jesus is divine, meaning he's denying that Jesus is God. Now look down at your Bible at 1 John chapter 5. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? We shall overcome. Deep in my heart, I do believe we shall overcome. Martin Luther King Jr. did not overcome according to Scripture. Because the Bible says right here, 
For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith, which is something that Martin Luther King Jr. did not have. And then look at the next verse. Who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? No, we as Bible-believing Christians shall overcome. But Martin Luther King Jr. did not overcome because he did not believe that Jesus was the Son of God. Listen to what he said about the resurrection. At the age of 13, I shocked my Sunday school class by denying the bodily resurrection of Jesus. From the age of 13 on, doubts began to spring forth unrelentingly. The early Christians had lived with Jesus. They had been captivated by the magnetic power of his personality. This basic experience led to the faith that he could never die. And so when the pre-scientific thought pattern of the first century, this inner faith took outward form. So he's explaining that in their unscientific minds, they came up with the resurrection of Jesus Christ because he believed in science falsely so-called. Right. Now, what does the Bible say about the bodily resurrection? You don't have to turn there, but in John chapter 2, verse 19, Jesus answered and said unto them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. But he spake of the temple of his body. He said, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. He was talking about his body. Therefore, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, a bodily resurrection. Amen. Of course, we could go to many other scriptures that would show the same thing. He also taught that Christianity was just one of the many religions that came about at that time and that it was heavily influenced by all the pagan religions around it. That Christianity did copy and borrow from Mithraism cannot be denied, but it was generally a natural and unconscious process rather than a deliberate plan of action. It was subject to the same influences from the environment as were the other cults. Now, if you read that quote carefully, you'll realize that he is calling Christianity a cult and saying that it borrowed from the other cults. So this man's a Baptist pastor. He was a pastor of two different Baptist churches. Then he was an assistant pastor at a Baptist church. Look, is this man a Baptist? Martin Luther King Jr.'s organization that he operated out of was called the Southern Christian Leadership Conference. Is that a fitting name for it? I mean, does this guy sound Christian? But think about what a wicked person pretends to be a Baptist pastor while openly denying that Jesus is the Son of God, openly denying the virgin birth, openly denying the resurrection, openly denying all these things. You say, well, then why be a pastor? He was only a pastor to further his political and activist ambitions. It had nothing to do with religion. It had nothing to do with being spiritual. It just had to do with giving him a platform and a soapbox to speak his message. Now, the Bible says, Woe well, unto you when all men shall speak well of you. For so did their fathers to the false prophets. The Bible's real clear. The false prophets are praised and spoken well of by the unbelieving world. Right. And the true prophets are reviled and hated of this world. Martin Luther King Jr., while masquerading as a Baptist preacher, denied every major doctrine of the Bible. He only used his position as pastor to advance his political career and activism. The Bible refers to unbelieving preachers who deny the doctrines of Christ as false prophets. According to God's word, 
These men not only preach lies, but they are also wicked in every other area of life. They are described in the New Testament as adulterers, sexual perverts, and ministers of Satan. These descriptions ring true in the life of Dr. King. But someone's response to this could be, well, okay, so he didn't believe the bright doctrines from the Bible. So what? He was still a great civil rights leader. He was still a great man and a great speaker. He still fought for a lot of great causes. That's what a lot of people would say. Who cares about his doctrine? We're not looking to him as a pastor. We're not looking to him as our spiritual leader. We're just looking to him as a champion of political issues. And so what he believed about Jesus is not the issue. Now, here's the thing. If he were just an unsaved guy who was a great political figure, I could see where someone was coming from with that. This is a man who is a Baptist pastor. That takes him from just being an unsaved dude to being a false prophet. What the Bible says about false prophets all came true in the life of Martin Luther King Jr. And the Bible teaches very clearly that false prophets are rotten people to the core. Not just that they happen to have a few doctrines wrong, like the virgin birth and the fact that Jesus is the Son of God, but rather that false prophets are actually wicked people through and through. That's what the Bible teaches. The Bible famously says, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. That's how the Bible describes false prophets. A wolf in sheep's clothing. One who inwardly is a ravening wolf. Look what the Bible says about false prophets in 2 Peter chapter 2. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction, having eyes full of adultery, and that cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls, and heart they have exercised with covetous practices, cursed children, which have forsaken the right way, and are gone astray, following the way of Balaam the son of Bozor, who loveth the wages of unrighteousness. The Bible says that not only are they denying Christ and preaching damnable heresies, but that they have eyes full of adultery, that they cannot cease from sin, that they beguile unstable souls, that they have covetous practices. Go to Jude. Now, the book of Jude is a parallel passage with 2 Peter chapter 2. Likewise, also these filthy dreamers, the father flesh, despise dominion and speak evil of dignities. Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain and ran greedily after the heir of Balaam for reward and perished in the gangsaying of Cory. These are spots in your feast of charity when they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. Clouds they are without water, carried about of winds, trees whose fruit withereth without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming at their own shame, wandering stars, to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. But other than that, he's a great guy. I mean, isn't that what people think? But this is about false prophets. How could you say other than that, he's a great guy? Well, just to remove all doubt, go to Jeremiah chapter 23 and see what the Bible says about false prophets back in the book of Jeremiah. I've heard what the prophets said that prophesy lies in my name, saying, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. I have a dream. How long shall this be in the heart of the prophets that prophesy lies? Yea, they are prophets of the deceit of their own heart. Behold, 
I am against them that prophesy false dreams, saith the Lord, and do tell them, and cause my people to err by their lies and by their lightness. Yet I sent them not, nor commanded them. Therefore they shall not profit this people at all, saith the Lord. So is he saying, oh, society is going to profit from this guy, even though he's a false prophet, he's teaching lies, there are other good things we can get from him? No, it says that he shall not profit this people at all. That's what the Bible says, my friend. Now, what did the Bible specifically say about false prophets that they would do, sinfully speaking? Well, he said in Jude that they would defile the flesh, even as Sodom and Gomorrah being given over to fornication and so forth. He also said in 2 Peter 2 that they had eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin. Martin Luther King Jr. was a serial adulterer and a major pervert, which confirms what the Bible predicted he would be. 50 years ago this week, in November 1964, FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover told a group of reporters on the record that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was, quote, the most notorious liar in the country and a danger to the American way of life. And their attempts to discredit King went far beyond just calling him a liar. The FBI placed bugs in King's hotel room tapped his phones, bugged his apartment in Atlanta. The FBI has 14 filing cabinets full of eavesdropping data on Martin Luther King Jr. 64,000 pages of this data was released to the Senate and it was labeled obscene. Not classified, but it was labeled obscene. Now this eavesdropping data showed the fact that he would go to these cities where he would have these speeches. He would hire all kinds of prostitutes and have orgies in his hotel room. A Baptist pastor, the wonderful moral civil rights leader, Dr. Oh, I'm sorry, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was hiring prostitutes in city after city and having perverted orgies in the hotel room with these prostitutes. Today, New York Times Magazine published for the very first time a full unredacted letter sent to King in 1964, which until now has only been available to the public with significant redactions. It's an utterly shocking document. The letter accuses King of being, quote, a filthy abnormal animal who's engaged in sexual orgies at odds with his claims to morality, with dirty, evil companions, male and female, giving expression with you to your hideous abnormalities. The truth is that it was really written by one of J. Edgar Hoover's own top men, William Sullivan, the head of the FBI's intelligence operations, who, according to Tim Weiner's history of the FBI, had a package of the King's sex tapes prepared by the FBI's lab technicians, wrote the accompanying poison pen letter, and sent both to King's home. Sullivan's letter ends with what seems like, for King, a call for King to kill himself. King. There is only one thing left for you to do. You know what it is, says the letter ominously. There is but one way out for you. You better take it before your filthy, abnormal, fraudulent self is bared to the nation. How did you find this thing? 
I really just happened upon it. So the letter itself has been known for about 40 years at this point, uh, but we've only seen it in these sort of redacted versions. And I was going through a new set of Hoover's official and confidential files, which were really the secret files that he kept in his office. They had been reprocessed. They had finally been turned over to the National Archives. And I was amazed to see this letter there finally with uh, all of the redactions removed. Now, I've got a copy of the letter right here. This is the letter that the FBI sent to Martin Luther King Jr. In view of your low-grade, abnormal personal behavior, I will not dignify your name with either a mister or a reverend or a doctor, and your last name calls to mind only the type of king such as King Henry VIII and his countless acts of adultery and immoral conduct lower than that of a beast. No person can overcome facts, not even a fraud like yourself. Lend your sexually psychotic ear to the enclosure. You will find yourself in all your dirt, filth, evil, and moronic talk exposed on the record for all time. I repeat, no person can argue successfully against facts. You are finished. You will find on the record for all time your filthy, dirty, evil companions, male and females, giving expression with you to your hideous abnormalities and some of them to pretend to be ministers of the gospel. Satan could not do more. What incredible evilness. It is all there on the record. Your sexual orgies. Listen to yourself, you filthy, abnormal animal. You're on the record. You have been on the record. All your adulterous acts, your sexual orgies extending far into the past. This one is but a tiny sample. They sent him an audio recording with the letter. You will understand this. Yes, from your various evil playmates on the East Coast to others on the West Coast and outside the country, you're on the record. King, you are done. The American public, the church organizations that you've been helping, Protestant, Catholic, and Jews will know you for what you are, an evil, abnormal beast. So will others who have backed you. You're done. King, there's only one thing left for you to do. You know what it is. You have just 34 days in which to do it. This exact number has been selected for a specific reason. It has definite practical significance. You're done. There is but one way out for you. You better take it before your filthy, abnormal, fraudulent self is bared to the nation. So guess what happened? He didn't kill himself. So guess what they did? 34 days later, they gave it to the media. Guess what the media did? Total media blackout. No one would print it. No one would report. This from the Washington Post by Richard Cohen. Let me just read for you this article entitled, What if the FBI had succeeded in exposing Martin Luther King Jr.? The FBI bugs of King's home and hotel rooms had become common knowledge in newsrooms around the country. But here's the thing. No one printed a word of it. Are you getting this? This article in the Washington Post is saying, isn't it so wonderful that when the FBI delivered all this smut that Martin Luther King Jr. was into to the media and said, hey, you need to expose this guy that everybody's looking up to as a great leader for the filthy pervert that he is, no one in the media would print a word of it. Now, it's not because they respected the personal lives. But no, you know what it was? They were receiving orders not to print it because the media is controlled. 
Because the media is not a free press, that's why. Because they were being controlled and they were not allowed to print it. That's what's really going on. But this guy says he was saved from ignominy. No, he wasn't. Just because people don't know about it, God knows about it. And in 2014, everybody now knows about it. He was preserved for greatness. Not in my book. I don't think that a filthy pervert and a false prophet is a great man for one second. The article goes on to say, I can't help wondering what would have happened if King would have been exposed at the time. The cries of hypocrisy would have blighted the sun. A minister, a civil rights leader, a married man, a father. Yeah, those are good questions. Why is this man such a hypocrite? The result would be the hideous destruction of a great man. How can you destroy a great man just by shining the light on the fact that he is committing adultery with prostitutes in every place? Well, I just don't think any of that's true. That's just a bunch of scuttlebutt. Right. Yeah, the Washington Post, the New York Times, the FBI, the Senate, they're all just creating this elaborate conspiracy theory. No, even his friends admitted it. Listen to this, Ralph David Abernathy, which is one of his fellow reverends that he ran with. He said in his 1989 autobiography and the walls come tumbling down that Martin Luther King engaged in extramarital affairs, evidence of which was sometimes recorded by the FBI through hotel room bugs. This is his buddy in the civil rights movement, Reverend Ralph Abernathy. Here's a quote from his book. I remember in particular a stay at the Willard Hotel in Washington, where they not only put in audio receivers, but video equipment as well. Then after collecting enough of this evidence to be useful, they began to distribute it to reporters, law officers, and other people in a position to hurt us. Finally, when no one would do Hoover's dirty work for him, someone in the FBI put together a tape of highly intimate moments and sent them to Martin. Unfortunately, and perhaps this was deliberate, his wife Coretta received the tape and played it first. Such accusations never seemed to touch her. She rose above all the petty attempts to damage their marriage by refusing to even entertain such thoughts. Right, that, you know, just those petty attempts, those petty attempts to hurt someone's marriage, like when you send them a cassette tape of their husband committing adultery with hundreds of different people in hotel rooms across America. You know, just little stuff like that that doesn't really matter anyway. She didn't let little stuff like that get her down. What a wonderful wife. I mean, what in the uh, Sometimes I feel like I'm living in the twilight zone. Now, you might ask yourself as I'm preaching this sermon, why was the FBI eavesdropping on Martin Luther King Jr.? And the answer is because of him being connected with communists. Civil rights activist Bayard Rustin served as King's main advisor and mentor in the late 1950s. He had joined the Young Communist League in 1936 and continued working with the Communist Party USA until the early 1940s. Following directions from the Soviet Union, the Communist Party USA and its members were active in the civil rights movement for African Americans. Following Stalin's theory of nationalism, the Communist Party USA or CPUSA once favored the creation of a separate nation for blacks to be located in the south of the United States. However, after 1941, when Germany invaded the Soviet Union, Joseph Stalin ordered the CPUSA to abandon civil rights work and focus on getting the U.S. to enter World War II. Disillusioned, Rustin began working with members of the Socialist Party instead. Rustin was a homosexual 
who was arrested in Pasadena in 1953 for committing sodomy in a car with two other men. He pleaded guilty to the crime of sex perversion and served 60 days in jail as a punishment. Now, those were the good old days when sodomy was a crime. In 1953, even in California, he was arrested for sodomy. And notice, he was an advisor and mentor. I'm sorry. He was the main advisor and mentor to Martin Luther King Jr. in the late 50s. When was he arrested and convicted of sodomy? In the early 50s. When is he the main advisor and mentor of Martin Luther King Jr.? In the late 50s. So Martin Luther King Jr. has with him this known former communist and homosexual as his main mentor and advisor in the Southern Christian Leadership Conference. Another of King's most trusted advisors was a Jewish New York lawyer named Stanley Levison who was a leader of the Communist Party USA in the 1950s. Yet another of King's advisors and director of the Southern Christian Leadership Conference was Jack O'Dell. During the 1950s, Jack O'Dell was a member of the Communist Party USA. Both President John F. Kennedy and Attorney General Robert Kennedy tried to persuade Martin Luther King to separate himself from the known communists in his organization, but he would not heed the warning. On October 10th, 1963, Attorney General Robert F. Kennedy authorized the Federal Bureau of Investigation to begin wiretapping the telephones of the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. Kennedy believed that one of King's closest advisors was a top-level member of the American Communist Party. And look, this wasn't some right-wing conservative that said, let's wiretap Martin Luther King Jr. It was Robert Kennedy. The Kennedys were liberal. And even they said, we need to wiretap Martin Luther King Jr. because of this communist connection. But they ended up getting all this smut and filth of his wickedness and adulteries. Here's what a woman named Julia Brown, who was a communist in Cleveland for nine years, said. We were told to promote King, to unite Negroes and whites behind him, and to turn him into a sort of national hero. We were to look to King as the leader in this struggle, the communist said, because he was on our side. While in the party, I learned that King attended a communist training school, that several of his aides were communists, and that he received funds from communists and took directions from them. He was one of their biggest heroes. Look, it's a fact. He attended the Highlander Folk School, which was a communist training school. These are facts. He was a communist. He was a pervert. He was an adulterer. He was a false prophet. But other than that, he was a great guy. (laughs) Think about that, man. It doesn't make any sense. So eventually, we all know how Martin Luther King Jr. met his end. He was assassinated. The assassination was supposedly carried out by a man named James Earl Ray. But James Earl Ray never received a jury trial. Even Martin Luther King Jr.'s own family believes that he was not the killer. Martin Luther King Jr.'s son went and visited James Earl Ray in prison and walked away believing him that he was not the killer. Dexter King arrived at this Nashville prison to meet the man serving time for the death of his father, Dr. Martin Luther King. The youngest son wanted to look into the eyes of a terminally ill James Earl Ray and ask one question in particular. Did you kill my father? No, no, I didn't, no. And then King offered this. I believe you. 
and my family believes you. Dexter King, good morning to you. Good morning. Take me back to the moment when you reached out and shook James Earl Ray's hand. What was that like? It was very moving, uh, a feeling of relief to finally meet face to face with the man who has been accused, uh, but has since, uh, from the beginning, said he was innocent. I continue to hear that he confessed, and in fact, he didn't confess. He pled guilty, which is different, technically speaking. So when you asked him, did you kill my father, in no uncertain terms, and he said, no, I did not, why do you believe him? Well, I believe him because there's so much new evidence that has been presented uh, to me and my family vis-a-vis -vis his attorney, uh, Bill Pepper. Uh, also, the fact of the matter is, um, he has said from the beginning uh, he was innocent. I asked him why he pled guilty. He said basically his attorney at the time cut a deal behind the scenes with the uh, district attorney, and unbeknownst to him, he uh, was forfeiting his rights to a trial. As soon as he found that out, three days later, he recanted and has since been trying to get a trial. So his defense attorney told him this. If you go to trial, you're going to be convicted and you're going to be put to death. Because if he would have been convicted in court, he would have been put to death. So they pressured him and convinced him to plead guilty and then you won't get the death penalty. You'll get life in prison instead. So that's what he did. Three days later, he regretted it, regretted it for the rest of his life, fought to try to get a jury trial. Then Martin Luther King Jr.'s own family fought to try to get him a jury trial. And they wanted him to get that jury trial. He never got the jury trial. One week after the meeting, on the eve of the 29th anniversary of the assassination, today's Matt Lauer spoke with Pulitzer Prize-winning King biographer David Garrow. You said that the scene of James Earl Ray and Dexter King shaking hands was, quote, sad and surreal. Why? Yes, Matt. I think it's very sad that the King family and the King children are so uninformed of the history that they could be open to believing that Mr. Ray was not involved in Dr. King's assassination. All right, hang on for one second, because joining us now is Dexter King. Dexter, good morning to you. Good morning. Mr. Garrow seems to think that you and your family members are being duped by James Earl Ray and his attorneys. What's your reaction? Well, I am very disturbed by his comments that anyone in this day and age of victims' rights would suggest uh, that it is wrong for a family to question uh, who killed their loved one. The fact of the matter is, uh, I guess I'm, I'm really not surprised because Mr. Garrow, uh, for whatever reason, uh, is doing his job. And, and frankly, he is an agent for those forces of suppression who do not want this truth to come forward. You say, well, why do you bring that up about James Earl Ray? Why is that relevant? Well, because of the fact that I believe that the reason that Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated is because they wanted him to be a martyr that would go down in history with greatness. And if he would have been allowed to continue living, he would have ruined his own reputation because he's going around committing all this filth. And so they figure, we better take this guy out while he's at the top of his game before he gets busted with all the filth and before he does something really stupid that we can't cover for him anymore and we can't have a media blackout anymore. So I think they took him out in order to immortalize him. President Reagan signed into law a bill today creating a national holiday honoring Martin Luther King. ABC's Sam Donaldson was at the White House. The White House staged an impressive ceremony today. The president and Dr. King's widow walking into the Rose Garden together. 
in an effort to spruce up Mr. Reagan's tattered civil rights image. The president signed the bill, which he had so strongly opposed, making Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday a national holiday. Truth is, is the fact that uh, they took him out because he already he realized what he was doing was wrong. And according to Stamey, he felt he was leading his people into a burning house. That is what he was doing. Because he was involved with Jacob Rothschild. And you know the Rothschilds with their demonic uh, dealings. And he sold out. Like many pastors and Christian leaders. They will sell out to be popular. Because many Christians do not like following the real way of God. Very few willing to endure it. Very few pastors are willing to endure it. And you'll have many flock to those pastors because they identify with somebody who doesn't want to live that life. They want, they are comfortable with church on Sunday and the rest of the days are for them. It's not an easy life to live. When it was over, Mrs. King said it had been a great day, and the president's words were fitting. The Reverend Jesse Jackson, who's running for president, said it was not a day for him to criticize anyone. A national holiday was proclaimed in honor of Martin Luther King Jr. Starting on October 8th, 1983, there were debates on the Senate floor about the King holiday. And let me just point out to you the word holiday means holy day. That's what holiday means. Do we need a holy day for Martin Luther King Jr.? I mean, does this man sound like he was a holy man? And in these debates, there were, of course, people who brought out all the smut and the filth and all the 64,000 pages that the Senate had received. And then the other side basically just said, well, how dare you run this smear campaign? Just want to just ignore the facts of all this filth and smut that was proven by hard evidence. And of course, the King holiday came about. Why? Because of the fact that if you don't like Dr. King, you're a racist. And by the way, if you don't like Obama, you're also a racist. I mean, that's what these people believe, don't they? People will just try to tell you, shut up about Martin Luther King Jr., you vicious racist. I do not have a racist bone in my body. Anyone who knows me can verify that. But yet you're called a racist for criticizing Obama, for criticizing Martin Luther King Jr. We're just judging people on the content of their character, folks. Right. Nothing to do with color. People who don't have any facts want to make it about color and play that race card. Yeah. Now, listen, I grew up in Christian school. And I went to a lot of different Christian schools, Baptist schools, and none of them ever gave us the day off for Martin Luther King Jr. Day, and we never complained about it one time because our parents taught us that that holiday was something that we do not observe as Christians because he was a wicked, false prophet and an adulterer and a communist. And when I was growing up, Martin Luther King Jr. was known in my house as Marxist Lucifer King. That's how he was referred to in my house. Marxist because he was a communist. Lucifer, because he was of the devil. The Bible says 
that Satan's ministers are transformed into ministers of light. And no marvel, Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. But today, even Baptists, even Christians have been so brainwashed by TV and media that they exalt this man whom they know nothing about just because everybody else is doing it. And the Bible says, they that forsake the law praise the wicked, but such as keep the law contend with them. Now you say, Pastor Anderson, what's the message of the sermon? What are we going to do next Monday? What's the celebration? You know who I'm going to celebrate next Monday? Jesus. Because Jesus is the real hero of racial equality that, that we ought to be celebrating. If you want to celebrate the third Monday in every January as a day of remembering someone who did the most to bring people together of all nations and ethnicities, you ought to be celebrating the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what Jesus said. And of the sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice. And there shall be one fold and one shepherd. And when he said that, you know what he was referring to? He said, other sheep that are not of the Jews, sheep that are of the Gentiles, I'm going to bring them. And there's going to be one fold. And there's going to be one shepherd. And my house shall be a house of prayer to all nations. Amen. And let me tell you something. The place where red and yellow, black and white can come together and have unity and be brothers and sisters is in the local church. Amen. That's where we'll be united. Okay. So many, for many people, this will be hard to hear if you are black, you're African-American. I am black. It is hard for me to hear too, but the truth is the truth. We have many false prophets. Many have been lifting up to the status of God in a way. With Obama. And Obama was by no means a Christian. Okay, neither was Bush, neither was Bush Sr., neither was Ronald Reagan. Anybody who gets into that, wants to get in that office, you have to do the devil's bidding. This country has always been anti-God. And if anybody who says otherwise is a liar, you can clearly look at the history. If Martin Luther King was a Christian, things may have turned out differently. People may have been getting, gotten saved, maybe a few. But that would have had more of an impact, more of something that's tangible, more of something that could benefit everyone and help them to change and repent of their sins. Because racism is a sin problem. That's what it is. And that sin problem has been passed down from generation to generation, and anybody could be a racist. Well, Martin Luther King was a tool for communism. He was a tool for communism, 
He worked with demonic people to bring about what we are suffering in this country today. Now we are suffering in this country with people of alternative lifestyles want to try and have relations with children now. And all that stems from the civil rights movement. Obama walked in MLK's footsteps. And this is what we have now. Okay. The elites use order out of chaos. They caused those um, abuses of blacks in the civil rights movement that that will push some, pushed a lot of them to want to look into Martin Luther King's dream. They made him a symbol. Okay. For hope, but it was a false hope. And there were probably those who actually knew about Martin Luther King and they did not like him because they knew who he was. I mean, I'm learning more and more about him myself. There were things about him that were just did not sit right with me. It didn't sit right with me that he was always talking about, he, you know, the people and stuff. But he, he claimed to be a minister. I don't hear nothing about the gospel being preached. I don't hear nothing about um, people getting born again and turning from racism and turning from sins, period, in their lifestyle. I didn't hear anything about that. Okay. And he's hanging around with, you know, people of different faiths. I'm like. Wait a minute, aren't you supposed to be preaching and helping them to repent? Because I've read the Bible that true followers of God are hated. And people of other religions, they don't want to be around you unless God is drawing them to hear the gospel so they can repent and become Christians. Okay. Those of you who want proof. All right. Here it is. All right. Communism topic. In the Cold War climate of 1950s and 60s, the threat of communism galvanized public attention. In 1953, Martin Luther King called communism one of the most important issues of our day. Papers. Chapter 6, page 146. As King rose to prominence, he frequently had to defend himself against allegations of being a communist. Though his view that communism and Christianity are fundamentally incompatible did not change King, all right, although sympathetic to communist core's concerns with social justice, King complained that with its cold atheism wrapped in the garments of materialism, communism provided no place for God or Christ. Okay, as you see today in the black community, um, there's a push for uh, material gain, a push for pushing out God. All right. King first studied communism on his own while a student at the Crozer Theological Seminary in 1949. In his 1958 memoir, he reported that although he rejected communist central tenets, he was sympathetic to the Marxist critique of capitalism, finding the gulf between super, super flourish wealth and abject par poverty that existed in the United States morally wrong. 
writing his future wife, Coretta Scott, during the first summer of their relationship, he told her that he was so he was more socialistic in my economic theory than capitalistic. And yet I am not so opposed to capitalism that I have failed to see its relative merits. King began preaching on communism challenge to Christianity in 1952, repeating sermons on the same theme throughout his career and including one as a chapter in 1963 volumes of sermons, strength to love communism presence demanded sober discussion. He preached because communism is the only serious revival, serious rival to Christianity. Okay. King's critique communism, ethical relativism, which allowed evil and destructive means to justify an idealistic end. This is why communism is bad. Communism wrote King robs man of the quality which makes him man that is being a child of god despite king's consistent rejection of communism in 1962 his associations with few alleged communists prompted the federal bureau of investigation fbi to launch an investigation into king's alleged links with communist party 1976 the u.s senate committee reviewed the fbi's investigation of king and noted we have seen no evidence establishing that either of those advisors attempted to exploit the civil rights movement to carry out plans of the Communist Party, Senate Select Committee, Book 380, page 85, from wiretaps initiated in 1963, the FBI fed controversial information to the White House and offered it to friendly reporters in an effort to discredit King. In 1964, King told an audience in Jackson, Mississippi, he was sick and tired of people saying that his movement has been infiltrated by communists. There are as many communists in the freedom movement as there are Eskimos in Florida. He was lying. In 1963, King bowed to the wishes of the Kennedy administration and fired um, SCLC employee Jack, Ode Jack Odell after the FBI alleged that he was a communist. King also agreed to cease direct communication with his friend and closest white advisor, Stanley Levinson. Although he eventually resumed contact with him in March of 1965, FBI surveillance and bugs tracked King's political associations and produced evidence of King's extramarital sexual activities, information that was later leaked to some reporters. In 1965, King faced questions from his from journalists on Meet the Press about his association with the Tennessee's Highlander Folk School, which had been branded a communist training school on billboards that appeared throughout Alabama during the Selma to Montgomery March and showed King attending a Highlander workshop. King defended the school, saying that it was not communist and noted the great American such as Eleanor Roosevelt, Reinhold Niebuhr, Harry Goldman, and many others had supported the school. Mm. King's position on the war against communism in northern Vietnam, like his overall position on communism, was rooted in Christian in his Christian belief in brotherhood. Indeed, in the summer of 1965, the press reported King's off-the-cuff remarks to a Southern Christian leadership conference rally in Virginia, we're not going to defeat communism with bombs and guns and gases. We must work this out. In the framework of our democracy, King Dr. King declares in his 1967 book, Where Do We Go From Here? Choose Chaos or Community. King cried, decried America's morbid fear of communism, arguing that it prevented people from embracing a revolutionary spirit and declared eternal opposition to poverty, racism, and militarism. Hmm. Fortunately, he was lying. Okay. It's basically what he did. He was lying all right and um you can't uh you can't have communism in christianity all right
And as you can see, the man definitely was not a Christian. All right. Definitely was not. And I'm just showing these articles here to for people to understand that he was not who he claimed to be. And some black people will get mad and say that, you know, why are you doing this? You know, you're black. We would have been in slavery if it, it would still be segregated if it wasn't for Martin Luther King. The problem is, okay, that nothing changed with the heart. Nothing changed. This is why we still have sundown towns. This is why we still have hate crimes against black people, because the issue of sin was not dealt with. Okay. That's what I always wondered about him. Again, he's supposed to be some sort of reverence, some sort of powerful religious Christian figure, but you don't hear him talking about the evils of sin in the human life. He never speaking against the alternative lifestyle gang and none of those things. Okay. Granted, yes, a lot of, a lot of people will probably never have listened to him, but the point of the matter is the gospel would have been preached and people's lives could have been saved and changes could have been made. All right. Martin Luther King's theology was very real liberal, very liberal in papers he wrote during his time at Crozer Theological Seminary. He made his views clear. He said that the evidence of the virgin birth is too shallow to convince any objective thinker. He stripped the doctrines of divine sonship of Christ, the virgin birth, and bodily resurrection of all literal meaning, saying we could argue with all degrees of logic that these doctrines are historically and philosophically unattainable. All right. In another paper, he wrote, a supernatural plan of salvation trinity, the substitutional theory of atonement, and the second coming of Christ, all quite prominent in fundamentalist thinking, such as the views of fundamentalists, and they reveal that he is opposed to theological adapt adoption, to social and cultural change. Amid change all around, he is willing to preserve certain ancient ideas, even though they are contrary to science. So basically he says, these are the views that believe the Bible and Jesus and the Trinity and salvation are archaic and only ignorant people believe this type of stuff. And this is what it is. This was, he believes in a social gospel, all right, uh, for culture. All right, this is what we have now. He is the re Martin Luther King, the damage that he did, he is basically the root of the new world order. He is the root of all that we are going through today in this country. He is the root of every, you know, al you know, alphabet movement. You have these Decepticons, I could put it, trying to demand rights to go into women's bathrooms. All of this, all of this is on King's head. All of this is on Martin Luther King's head. He did not believe these doctrines, even though the Bible taught them. Instead, he rejected them as superstitious because he did not, it, they did not fit his notions of modern science. Science, real science, you know, works hand in hand with the Bible. Science proves that, you know, there was a flood. There was an ark. 
okay? There were cities like Jericho, Jerusalem, okay? That there was a uh, confrontation between God and Pharaoh, and Pharaoh, and the plagues, all right? There's scientific evidence that proves the people in the Bible that have been talked about, they actually existed. The doctrines he was rejecting are fundamental to biblical Christianity. After graduating from college, we do not see a radical change in King's theology or reputation of his former of his former unorthodox views. Although he did not explicitly preach that preach these liberal beliefs, his messages were still consistent with them. His messages would fall under the banner of black liberation theology. Okay. He preached the form of Christianity that was reworked to apply to the physical freedom of slaves. The central theme of his to of Christianity was not Jesus Christ, the Son of God, coming to earth. It was deliverance of the it was the deliverance of Israel from the slavery in Egypt. In his famous mountaintop speech, when he was listening, he was when he was listing the seminal events of history, he mentioned the Exodus, not Christ's death and resurrection. So basically, Martin Luther King was basically being a antichrist a false christ wanting to free the people of physical captivity but not from spiritual captivity okay and when i'm seeing this it's like he was giving people the jesus that they wanted he was giving blacks the jesus that they wanted not the jesus they needed but the jesus they wanted okay and it's, it's, I'm seeing the Bible play that right now, okay? The scribes and the Pharisees and many others, they wanted a leader. They wanted a, a um, God in human flesh to punish their captors, okay? And to free them and liberate them, okay? Their way, but Jesus came, Jesus was sent, God the Father sent God the Son, to free people from their sins. So they won't face a spiritual death in hell. Liberation theology is a secularization of Christianity using the Bible as a framework to speak to people's long, longing for freedom. It is the abandonment of the message of the Bible. Instead of applying the full breadth of scripture to the hearers, it constructs a new theology to appeal to your worldly needs. This fits perfect with King's denial of fundamental beliefs in the supernatural events script and scripture records. He didn't need to believe them if he was just reproposing re them a few reproposing a few events from scripture to construct his own story of the world being an antichrist being a false prophet it's basically what he was he was a false prophet this was obama before he was obama this was obama before obama let's put it that way there's subscription evidence that martin luther king's jr's private life and character was unworthy of a minister of the gospel or even as a christian the fbi monitored him for many years wrongly wrongly and unconstitutionally using their surveillance powers to get damaging information to discredit him for political purposes. This monitoring including following him on his travels around the country and placing recording devices in his hotel rooms. The FBI claimed 
to have evidence, both anecdotal and audio recording of King committing adulteries on many occasions. They even went to the point of sending an anonymous letter threatening him with the release of this information, encouraging him to commit suicide. FBI records on King will remain sealed until at least 2027. We do not have to take the word of the FBI to believe that MLK was not a man who lived a righteous life. Dr. Ralph Abernathy, a close friend of King, admitted as much in his book, and the walls came tumbling down. He wrote that even the night before his assassination, King had committed adultery with multiple women. The consensus among historians is that Martin Luther King was repeatedly unfaithful to his wife. It is right to commend and remember King for what he got right, including the equality of all nationalized and nonviolent protests against injustice, but we must not ignore his failings. As with many historical figures, we must be honest about King complimenting and emulating what he did well and condemning where he was wrong. Christians must not forget in their rush to crown him their hero, that he lived a wicked life and denied the very basics of Orthodox Christianity. It is deceptive and wrong for evangelical Christians to claim King as a brother in Christ when all the evidence suggests he was not. Okay. And once again, this is going to be hard for a lot of people to hear, mainly probably for, for a big majority because they want to politicize him. They want to frame him. They want this is the Jesus that they want, not the Jesus they need. Okay. A lot of people hate God, even those who claim to know him. Okay. The real Jesus is despised by majority of humanity, just like real Christians are hated by the majority of humanity because we stand on the truth. We stand on what is there and we suffer for trying to, for living that life. But that's the way it is. You only get to live once. And I know a lot of people will get mad. A lot of people will get upset. But this is what it is. I probably won't ever probably able to grow this channel. And that's okay. That is okay. Because when you get called by God and you, you become a part of the kingdom, you start to see how... This world, you can't go by its rules. Not when you have God, not when you know things. It gets harder. But you can't be, you can't live like the dead. <clears throat> and claim to be alive. You can fool everybody else, but you can't fool God. This man is in hell. That's the truth. A lot of people don't want to hear it. That is the truth. There's also been accounts of saying that the reason why people won't argue or try to with the family, MLK won't won't argue is because powers that be kept them in check
All right. Okay. One second. Here's some scriptures on false prophets. All right. First John chapter four, verse one to six. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. First John chapter four, verse one. Beloved, believe not every spirit, try, try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Matthew chapter seven, verse 15. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sleep in sheep's clothing, but in but inwardly they are raven, ravening wolves. Second Peter chapter two verse one, but there are that there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. Matthew chapter twenty four verse twenty four, for there shall arise false Christs and false prophets, and they shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Romans chapter sixteen verse eighteen, for they are such that not serve. For they are such as serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. And a lot of people were deceived in Martin Luther King's time listening to him. Mark chapter seven verse six Mark chapter seven verses six to six to nine. He answered and said unto them, Well hath Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites, as it is written, People honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. All right. So let's get into this one right here. Some people will say, well, that doesn't mean, you know, there's not some good prophets out there. Let's take a look. Four ways to test a prophet. Follow the money. No prophet in the scripture was ever rich. What did you what did you go out to the desert to see? Ask Jesus about John the Baptist and the Luke's gospel. Some dressed in fine garments. Those who dress luxurious and live in Subtimus are found in royal palaces are true a true prophet okay does not get rich speaking for god you won't get rich speaking for god you won't god wants you to have integrity god doesn't want you hanging with people who say they are of him but they live a contrary life two who are the prophet's friends a true prophet is friends with the poor and the powerless a false prophet keeps company with the rich and powerful jesus was criticized for keeping company with tax collectors and sinners put no trust in princes says the psalmist in Psalm chapter 146. Prophets should not get in bed with politicians. Number three, for whom does speak the prophet, for whom does the prophet speak for? The job of the prophet is to confront the afflicted, is, I'm sorry, is to comfort the afflicted and, uh, uh, and afflict the comfortable. False prophets tell their congregations what they want to hear. We can see some all right, so what do I mean by afflict the comfortable? Those who have gotten comfortable with this life, those who love this life and forgot their mission as being a Christian. False prophets tell their congregations what they want to hear, just like Martin Luther King. We can see some clergy fawning over political leaders 
as others challenge them to protect the marginalized and serve the common good. A prophet who ignores the sins of his friends is a prophet for a party, not for God. So you'll always see the, you know, people who will say, well, Trump is a good man. The Republican Party, they're good, but they will never point out the racism, the white supremacy, and the blatant hatred and disrespect they have for non-whites. And when you do call it out, they will call you a race baiter or, you know, stop always making it about race. But you you see what your candidate and what the people in your in this party are doing is not is not right and is very anti-God. Whether it be Republican or Democrat, you point that out. They will get mad at you, say if you're you know, if it's Democrats, you're unloving, you're intolerant, you're bigoted. Republicans, you're playing the race card. Okay. Number four, how does he speak? The words of the prophet can ring with righteous anger, but not with hate. The prophet must condemn exploitation, but have compassion for sinners. If there is no love in the prophet's voice, then he does not speak with the voice of God. A true prophet speaks only after listening and praying. Okay. Religion can be a political prop or a prophetic voice. History which should teach religious leaders not to get in bed with political leaders. Religious and political leaders can work together for the common good, but they should be enriching the community, not each other. A prophet can speak courageously about issues, but when he starts endorsing political parties and the candidates, he is no longer speaking for God because God is very much not for this world. Okay. He's not. You could talk to, you know, Christians about uh, how going to war is wrong and how Christians shouldn't join the military. And you could tell them all, you could tell them all the credible reasons why, and you will still have Christians trying to compare, take the old Testament and justify it for going to war. When, and that tells you, they don't know scripture, just taking anything they can that was justified in one time period and try to make it justified in another time period, which is no longer justified. And people tend to forget that when God, um, Use the Israelites to go to war against enemy nations. He was doing that as a judgment on those enemy nations who continually sin against him. And he did tell the Israelites, if you commit the acts of the people that I am sending you to destroy, I will send other nations to destroy you. Okay. These nations were committing child sacrifice, abortion, unnatural lifestyles, and the Israelites decided to do the same thing and they were punished for it. That was the basis. That was the reason why. Okay, the wars today, okay, it's just it's propaganda. I'll give you an example. Okay, Ahab wanted Nabal's vineyard, but Nabal said, "No, this this vineyard is for my family. It's an inheritance to my family and my generation." Ahab goes and complains to Jezebel about the situation. Jezebel concocts a scheme to get two lying witnesses to say Nabal has blasphemed God, which was punishable by death in his day. Nabal is killed. Ahab gets the vineyard. Okay. Same thing today. All right. When a gov when a, another nation does not want to play ball with the Amer with the United States or other Western powers, they come, they bring up propaganda. They say, Oh, this country needs freedom. Oh, this country um, is under terrorist attack. And they make excuses to go over there or bomb it and to take their resources. All right. You see the issue with 9-11, the firefighters. Uh, were in that building and said there was explosions 
wasn't the plane that took it out. It was the explosions. It was a demolished hit. I know I'm going to the conspiracy mode, but I'm trying to show you propaganda here. I'm trying to show how propaganda works. And I gave you a biblical version and I'm giving you what we experienced in real life. All right. And that was the excuse to go into war and invade another nation and take their resources using the lives of American men and women who did not make it back home. Most did not make it back home and they are not with the Lord. They are in hell as we speak. Also, the Bible is against taking oaths. Okay. And then you're going over there to kill people that Christ has made. What did Jesus say? Love your enemies. I'm showing you how this, um, this world is. And how Christians, false prophets, though, who will twist the scriptures to get what they want out of this world. Don't care if you lead most of your congregation or people in very the, the individuals that actually believe you to hell in the process. And then when you talk about this, they say you're crazy. You don't know what you're talking about. I'm a patriot. No. Patriot for what? Okay. And they can't tell you that. They can't tell you what I'm a nationalist. Jesus said that my kingdom is not of this world. If it was, my people would fight. It's not of this world. So, again, what are you talking about? Well, I'm a citizen. Your citizenship, if you're a Christian, is with Christ. So, you know, you lose everything when you come to Jesus. All right? And and it, when you and then when you take time to read and you meditate on the word of God, God will reveal you that reveal to you that he's trying to save you from making dumb decisions as many men have made throughout history to go to a war that wasn't really for freedom. It was to line the pockets of bankers, satanic bankers. I'm not saying all bankers are bad, but these the first and second world war, it was orchestrated by the ruling elite. You can't give a damn about the people that were going to lose husbands, sons. Or to be crippled. They just cared about making profits off a war that did not have to be. It's the same thing now. What we're dealing with now with Ukraine and Russia. And our government is supporting neo-Nazis. And you will have Christians who will, false Christians who will say it's okay to go to war. This is God's war tied up in the political drama, which is just a, a satanic game. Henry Kissinger said military men are just dumb animals and pawns for foreign policy. Unfortunately, you got a lot of Christian ministers and a lot of Christians that are okay with being what Henry Kissinger said, regardless of history's blatant and clear examples of how war is nothing more than old men talking and young people dying for the profit of these old men.